Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined today with our guest super producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here. And that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. This is a global episode. It's an international episode, and we do hope you enjoy it. Let's just... Let's put all the cards on the table real quick here. China is often vilified in Western media, Europe and the U.S. and Australia, of course, and often for good reason. But if you look at it, if you look at the day to day lives of most people, we all kind of want the same things, right? And China is a country filled with people just like any other. So most of the day-to-day stuff that happens in China never makes it to the domestic news, much less the international news, just like here in the States. You know, you don't see a big CNN headline that is like, so-and-so got a parking ticket, so someone in China might get a parking ticket. They might have to go get married or divorced and do the paperwork. For one reason or another, they might also, unfortunately, find themselves in court, and that is where today's episode begins. Guys, I don't want to spoil too much just yet, but I'm thinking we can just nickname this episode Law and Order, China Edition. Can I be Sam Watterson? Is that? Always. Wasn't he? He was was OG Law and Order, right? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Like like uh, original series, or I don't know. God knows how many of those there are. Dick Wolf is a madman. You said on a recent episode of Ridiculous History, Ben, something must have happened to him. I uh, wonder. Yeah, I was just <laughs> about to say that here too. So it's like if you look at Law and Order spinoffs, you know, uh, you'll see the same episodes kind of occur with just different people mad libbed in. Uh, prom is a big one. What happened at your prom, Dick Wolf? Are you okay? But but in this. Uh, it, and I would also, uh, before you commit to Sam Watterson, Noel, I would uh, point out that Jeff Goldblum is in Law and Order: Criminal Intent for some reason. Mm. So that might be a, that might affect your decision. But I, I just like the name Sam Watterson. I don't know why mm-hmm. it just does it for me. Goldblum, son cool. of a- <laughs> son of the water. Uh, and speaking of water, let's travel across the Pacific to China. Here are the facts. Like if you are listening and you're from the U.S. or you live in the U.S. now, you're already on some level aware of how that country's judicial system works. The three branches of U.S. government are, in theory, separate, meaning that the courts are, again, in theory, supposed to be beyond the reach of political theatrics and political parties. And again, we can't say that's theoretical often enough, because especially in recent years, uh, the courts have been highly politicized, and the court of public opinion has to, uh, in an arguable degree, affected judicial decisions. So what are the similarities and differences between the judicial system in China and the judicial system in the U.S.? I honestly didn't really realize the distinction between these in quite as cut and dry a way as we're going to lay out here, um, Ben, but you um, do a really fantastic job of spelling out exactly the difference. There is civil law and then there is common law. And I guess the term common law to me, I always associate with like a common law wife, you know, or a common law partner, like someone that by like virtue of just doing something for long enough, it kind of becomes the thing. Um, But no, it's more than that. Common law is essentially law that is based on case law. Case law that is, of course, published, uh, judicial opinions is prioritized, which means that someone who is presiding over a case, whether it be uh, a judge or some sort of tribunal or what have you, um, would prioritize, you know, uh, the cases of the past to determine how to act in a particular case that is in front of them um, at that moment. The idea of legal precedent would be a good way of thinking of it. Um, And some countries that use this type of law include places like the United States, England, India, and Canada. Yeah, and then the difference here is that in China, you're you're dealing with civil law. It's a civil law system, and it is a little bit different. It's uh, just a comment on the common law system. I I think, and what I remember being told, is that the reason for having that is so that the law can evolve. As society evolves, the law evolves. Uh, Within civil law, countries like China, uh, there are, there are just statutes. There are civil like rules that exist and what those rules state on paper is what goes right. Mm -hmm. Uh, this, if you do what this law states not to do, then you are in trouble and you've broken that statute. And I mean, conceivably, doesn't that simplify things a little bit? Uh, it, it definitely uh, becomes a little bit more didactic and what, what's the word, like Hammurabian, like the idea of this like code that if you break the code, then you get the punishment and then it's all written out. Um, so it certainly keeps you from having to 
jump through all these hoops and figure out, well, no, in this case they did this, and that means that we should apply this, you know, precedent to this, and oh, now it's actually changed a little bit, so we have to like retool things. I mean, you could definitely argue that civil law is the more straightforward way of doing it, but also leads you to more um, kind of draconian measures, right? Yeah, it's non-negotiable is the big difference. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the big things to keep in mind here is that, you know, you've got the law that, or the, you know, the civil codes, once those are broken, the way it's kind of enacted is a little different too, right, Ben? And mm-hmm. you maybe correct me if I'm getting if anything's inaccurate here, but the judge then just collects all the data on that case, everything that is known, all the facts, and then applies basically the punishments that are also within that code to the person that broke the code. Yeah. Yeah. Just so, and there are other nuts and bolts aspects of this, like the role of a lawyer, uh, the role of the judge, you know, fact finder versus decree. Uh, And this also plays out in uh, the way a jury trial would work. But it's important to say China is not unique in the idea of civil law. Countries like Japan, Germany, France, Spain, a lot of continental Europe uses this approach. And a lot of countries across the world use a mix of features from both civil and common law. And then in the case of China, some of this is also based on pre-existing Chinese judicial approaches from the past. Well, certainly there must be ways to change those statutes or those codes if, if the need arises, but it would probably just take a little bit more doing, right? Well, sure. Be Xi Jinping. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> and, and really quickly, I think I coined a new term, uh, Hammurabi. And I mean, everybody knows what I meant by that, I think. But uh, the code of Hammurabi was like, I think, the, if not one of the earliest codified sets of laws that would apply, you know, uh, to a society. Yeah. And the code of Hammurabi um, may not have aged well because it will seem a little bit absolutist and draconian, but it is uh, it is the first comprehensive written record of if you do X, we will do Y. And, you know, people need the civilizations, I would say, need that kind of guidance. But we have to. So we've laid out, you know, this sort of, I would say, not even philosophical difference, but structural difference. And Neither, they both have advantages and disadvantages, but it's not as if one is evil and one is noble. They're just different approaches. Like, you know, a quesadilla and a burrito have the same ingredients. Anyway, the perhaps the more important difference between Chinese and U.S. Uh, judiciary systems here is a functional difference. The judicial branch in China, and I hope this isn't a hot take to say this, it isn't really independent, not really, because it's an extension of the government. It has very little separation, meaning that it is part of the ruling political party, the Communist Party of China, that is in charge of the PRC or People's Republic of China. This might not seem like a big, big difference for little transgressions. Somebody's littering. Uh, somebody has like stolen some DVDs, if there are still DVDs around. Those things are kind of apolitical. 
depending on the content of the DVD. And the Chinese system, in that case, can function like an independent branch of politics because no one's talking about something like Tiananmen Square. No one's talking about the Uyghurs. But as you can imagine, this difference comes to the forefront in a huge way whenever a case has anything that might be seen as a political element. And often the way this is reported in the West, uh, those political elements may seem really small and innocuous, but they are a big, big deal domestically. And yeah, this is not not meant to disparage the Chinese government unduly. Those two things are simple structural facts. Of course, a lack of independence can clearly lead to corruption. It can open the door for conspiracy and even tyranny. But we can't forget that, you know, like I said earlier, the U.S. courts over the past several years and decades especially have found themselves embroiled in the world of politics, despite that theoretical just the facts uh, approach. You know, I, I like to think about it as we can't throw stones from our own glass courthouse. From or within, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. Because um, it all comes crashing down. I, I don't know. At least um, China sort of acknowledges that that's how it is for the most part. There's no illusions of separation. I think here we're inching more. I'm not to be too hot of a take on it, but I think we all kind of see it. We're inching more and more towards something that feels like there is very little divide, you know, and I think there's a lot of like legal apologists and kind of purists that maybe say, no, 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 it, it's there. It's still there. It's like part of the, the tradition and it must remain. But, you know, functionally, it sure sometimes doesn't seem like that divide exists the way it might. And we really see politics entering into the ju- judicial branch as you go higher in the circuit system until you get to that uh, old Supreme Court. And, you know, they, I would say the politics kind of start at the top level and then go down. Oh, but trickle it, down, it, justice. It's <laughs> trickle down, trickle down politics. At the uh, end, we're all covered in <laughs> shit. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, it, you know, we we could spend a lot of time here just talking about the the philosophical differences between you know, China and the United States when it comes to government. When we say there's one party in China, it is true that there are two parties in the U.S., and that is a difference. But (laughs) if, you know, you try and and delve too deeply into that, you know, uh, highly connected world of donors and movers and shakers, it's, it gets a little muddy. Mm Yeah. I mean, you're making, you're making a solid point here because uh, there's, Something else that I think needs to be pointed out more often about the American judicial system. If a judge is elected, then are they not inherently in some way involved in the world of politics? I I mean, that's just an inescapable fact. But for our purposes today, those are the two big differences to keep in mind. One, China's judicial system is based in civil law, and it is, two, in practice, inherently politicized. Big question, why these differences matter? Why? Well, first and foremost, they matter a lot to the people on trial. That's that's a rough one. Uh, And second, these differences accelerate because we live in a world where technology is changing the game, changing all games, I would argue, in a very big way, a profound way. If you have ever been involved with any aspect of your own country's legal system, then you are doubtlessly familiar with the slow grind of justice. Cases can take years to reach a conclusion. The courts, at least here in the U.S., are regularly backed up. They're overloaded with cases, so much so that it is a ubiquitous trope 
of uh, most fiction to see the overloaded public defender saying, you know, you're my 149th case today. I would do better if I was on cocaine, but I can't afford it on this salary, et cetera, et cetera. The courts are like before the rise of COVID, courts were backed up. And this is pretty common in a lot of countries. Uh, and in the U.S. is pretty understandable because we're talking about a country with almost 330 million people. Now, imagine how convoluted all these variables become when we're in a country with 1.3 billion people, like the population of China. Uh, there's a big difference between a million and billion. We don't have to waste a lot of time on it, but the difference is almost certainly bigger than most people imagine. And we are living in this age of massive technological innovation. When these two factors meet, that need for more efficiency and this explosive level of this meteoric rise in technological growth, when those two combine, we see the makings of something incredibly dangerous. Today's question is a question that China asked recently. They said, what if we can make our justice system more efficient? What if we can do it by taking the human element out. We're taking some of the human element out of the human pursuit of justice. It's a crazy question, and it's one that gets us to some scary places. What are we talking about? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part time or full time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Here's where it gets crazy. So, Matt, Noel, Seth, fellow conspiracy realist, this is one of those... Thank you. This is one of those episodes uh, that in the course of research, in the course of digging in, always makes me wonder what's going to go down when we reach customs in China. You know what I mean? I don't think they care because we're not, well, you know, we're not like big political figures. We're not like, uh, what's his name? John Cena having to apologize for calling Taiwan a country. But yeah, are you headed there anytime <laughs> soon or... No comment. But the uh, the not after this episode, <laughs> right? But the interesting, well, not getting in legally, I guess. But the interesting part of this is that what we're about to talk about will inevitably, I would argue, apply to things outside of the courtroom, and shortly you'll see why. Right now, uh, we we got to set the stage. You may have heard us briefly mention this development in a previous strange news segment. And it's it's such a big story that we pretty much said, uh, hang on, we're going to pause. This is an episode and we're going to come back to it. And that's what we're doing because the rumors are true. The government of China has indeed created an artificial intelligence program for its judicial system. It's a machine that you're going to be hearing called System 206 or 206 System. But it's that's not entirely true. The new thing is based on... System 206, which was a pre-existing AI tool. Is the name System 206 great? Eh, you know, not, not really in my opinion. I think there are cooler names out there, but um, I, I guess they didn't read our email. So, Oh, Ben, please what? don't sell yourself short. You had some, <laughs> we need to at least put these out in the world because they're pretty epically great. I don't know. I don't think Judgetron 9000 is something that people want to hear when they're getting prison time. <laughs> no one wants to be locked up by RoboBusted. Well, I mean, how about we just call it Mr. Roboto and call it a day? Yeah, you know. It doesn't even have to have any legal legal puns in it. It's just something that makes it feel like it's your friendly neighborhood robot that's just going to mm. you know send you to prison or put you to death. Oh, like the uh, government minders that would regularly pop up if you were browsing uh, the web on a, in a Chinese internet cafe. These like these little cart, cute, very cute cartoon police characters pop up and say, "Hey, just you know, we're keeping an eye on you. Make sure everything's safe." <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, Clippy or something like that, but a little more sinister. And one of my, it's funny, this slight tangent. But one of the things, um, one of my old professors, a, a dear friend, pointed out 
he's a former Chinese national uh, until he left for the U.S. He said the weirdest thing about those uh, cartoons was that if you looked closely, they had blue eyes. I don't know why that always astounded him. But anyhow, yes, the Internet uh, access game in China is, is very different. And they are leading the for- they are leading the charge on AI. I would point out our earlier episode where the uh, various members of the Pentagon and the Western defense establishment said that the U.S. was just not ready at this point, severely outclassed, which is unfortunately true from all indications. Which isn't something that we're used to, right? We're used to being like on the bleeding edge of like all this kind of stuff. So it's for them to admit that openly is uh, got got to give them props for the for the humility uh, on that one. Um, but I mean, they're when when we say that they're leading in AI, it's like across the board they're using it in all aspects of life. Like we talk about Sesame Credit and things like that. I mean, maybe that's not quite the same, but at the very least, they're using technology with algorithmic and AI components in tons of ways to either streamline processes or what have you. And this one just maybe feels a little bit more, less benign. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I don't know, man. Look, I I think this and Sesame Credit are going to be having some fun times together when they get fully integrated. Now, I wasn't Uh, implying that Sesame Credit is benign. That one's you're right. These are like that's a match made in heaven. But you know, um, there certainly are probably more banal ways that China is using AI. But these are two very spooky ones. Also, Sesame Credit is one of the things that System Two Hundred Six takes into consideration. Mm-hmm. And just for anyone that doesn't remember, Sesame Credit is like a essentially a ranking of social status based on things that you do in your on your record, right? And gives you higher or lower tier access to goods to services, essentially, and to government, you know, things to travel. Mm-hmm. And it's also a uh, it's it's not just uh, individuals' actions; it's their associations. So if you went to high school with someone who is considered of a lower credit rating, then that can affect you too, even if you don't really kick it with them. Um, But yeah, yeah. they're building a car while they're driving it. Oh, aren't we all? Uh, (laughs) um, All right. So I'm going to, I really quickly, I just want to mention the newspaper article, if that's okay, Ben, that I I think we were initially alerted to this story from it's in the South China morning post Title is Chinese Scientist Develop AI Prosecutor That Can Press Its Own Charges. It's written by Stephen Chen, and it was published on the 26th of December, 2021. Uh, you may not be able to find it, or if you do find it, you may not be able to access without you know paying some money to access that. You can also find it in AsiaOne.com. That's where we located it. And both of those, both of those reports, and, and most of the reports are... Quoting South China Morning Post, uh, you can find some other domestic Chinese media that has been translated to English if you don't read Chinese. Uh, There was a paper published this past December, December 2021, uh, in a journal called Management Review, which is uh, peer-reviewed, but peer-reviewed domestically. And in this, uh, Professor Shi Yong, uh, who is a director of the Chinese Academy of Sciences, Big Data and Knowledge Management Laboratory, broke down the basics of how this AI works. It is a machine. It was built and tested in Shanghai. And it makes sense that it was built and tested in Shanghai because Shanghai has the largest and busiest district prosecution office. For like a very rough comparison, folks, imagine this. If you're familiar with the U.S., this would be like California 
which is the United States' biggest court system. We're talking like 12% of all litigation. Imagine California saying, sheesh, we have to make our lives easier somehow. Cut to the uh, infomercial. But it's the California legal system saying, there's got to be a better way. Uh, That's what That's what people in Shanghai were thinking as well. Professor Shi argues that this technology could reduce prosecutors' daily workload and let them focus on more difficult tasks that need that human touch. So it's often being framed as a not a hard-hitting law and order style prosecutor, but as a 24-hour judge's assistant. So very much a clippy vibe. Can we also just say that the name of the district prosecution office in Shanghai is a delight. It is the Pudong People's Procuratorate. Procuratorate? Yes. Well, I don't know mm-hmm. this word. I, I, I'm used to like words like protectorate, but like pro, it's like pr, pr, it's something that procures things. And it's, I don't know. It's just a very new word for me. It's it's a I, I, I looked up this quite a bit. The procurator is kind of the same as the prosecutor. Yes, Uh, very, very similar. Not exactly the same, but very similar. Yeah, it's both the it's the individual or the uh, department that is charged with the investigation, prosecution of crimes. It dates back, I believe, to the Roman Empire, which is kind of neat because you see a lot of human history in these sort of legacy terms uh, and they pop up in, you know, the legal systems across the world. Absolutely. Yeah. So here's here's what they did. They developed this AI prosecutor. And it can run on a desktop computer. So for each suspect or like each case it is considering, it decides whether or not to press a charge and what kind of charge to press based on 1,000 or so traits obtained from this description text. And most of the traits that it's picking up are things that are too small or too abstract to maybe really stand out to um, to a meat sack prosecutor, a human prosecutor. And this reminds me a lot of uh, the AI that figured out uh, the new way to make an efficient coil gun. Remember that when it was noticing tiny variables you could change to uh, up the performance of those of those arms. Uh, yeah. yeah, but man, I, uh, mm, well, I want to know what the heck they're talking about because they're basing that on a description that is written by a human who has gathered facts about the case. Mm -hmm. Then this AI is just combing over that written description that a human made to, to pick out these little things that the other human who didn't, it's the little things. It it also kind of goes into the larger conversation about like what AI even means. Like we talked about Ada Lovelace, right? In the past, like when we've discussed AI and her concept of AI isn't possible because a computer can only ever do what the programmer tells it to do. But essentially what we're talking about here is a computer doing what the programmer tells it to do, or at the very least um, operating under a set of instructions that the programmer tells it to consider. So like it, it makes me question like what AI means. I don't think it's the same in every case. It's not like this computer has such quote unquote artificial intelligence that it can just automatically dissect, you know, court transcripts without any extra, you know, parameters and just figure out, you know, where the justice lies. It has to have a set of instructions that it's operating from, which are inherently um, influenced by humans. 
Right. And, and this is something we'll talk about a little later, too. The, one of the big questions is, is this simply automating a process? For instance, I think that everyone can agree that if you are in a spreadsheet or something uh, or on some kind of platform and you make like a list-wide change, then that's not really AI. You just told it to change everything to 2023 or whatever. I want to talk a little bit about how about how misreported this story has been in the West. Because again, there's a lot of anti-Chinese prejudice in the West. Prosecutors in China were already using System 206 for several years to help figure out uh, how to approach evidence to determine whether or not a suspected criminal was a danger to the public at large. But this was pretty limited. Up to now, all System 206 could do was collate that information make some indications and recommendations. It could not, uh, quote, this is from the management review paper, could not participate in the decision-making process of filing charges and suggesting sentences. When we talk about sentences, we're not talking about the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. We're talking about prison time. I think we, we can all agree a lot of people don't want, you know, Judgeatron 9000 to decide whether they get five years of hard time. And that's what's happening because the AI to be able to suggest sentences would have to be able to identify and remove information in a case that it deems irrelevant. And then it would be, it would also need to process human language in its neural network. This is And what it the, would also yeah. be based on the reporting of a human who's re- writing down facts about the case. Right, for now. And this, this is where we're at. This is the precipice. And this means that for the first time in human or AI history, there is now a machine that can use these processes to not just not just put the final stamp on existing charges, but to actually charge people with crimes. And I, I, I get the feeling all three of us definitely want to talk about how stuff works. That's one for all our old friends there. The This machine was trained. And there's a way a lot of um, these pieces of tech get trained. It was fed more than 17,000 cases, all distinct separate cases from 2015 up to 2020. And it would capture things like everything from the metadata to ultimately the content of what was happening, the time that something occurred, the place, the region, the people, the individuals, their past behavior, their current behavior, uh, and then would calculate consequences. And so far, it can identify and press charges for Shanghai's eight most common crimes. And this, (laughs) we're going to give you the eight most common crimes. I think they paint an interesting picture of crime and uh, fun times in Shanghai. They're fun, every one of them, but a couple in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, credit card fraud. Okay, that's really common. Running a gambling operation, dangerous driving, intentional injury, obstructing official duties, theft, fraud, and perhaps the most vague and dangerous, quote, picking quarrels and provoking trouble. A.K.A. rabble-rousing, being, a, <laughs> so, be, be, yeah. being like a, what do you call it, um, being like an agitator? Is that what we're talking about here? Yeah. A ne'er-do-well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be. I mean, it could be something pretty could serious. Be oh, uh, it no could be question. like serious assault, or it could be like 
you know, spreading but, rumors about the party, right? But there's, yeah. there, but, but, but why don't they call it serious assault? <laughs> like there, there's a, I mean, obvious to everybody. There's in this very nature of this charge, it's up to it's the in the eye of the beholder. You know, I don't know what to call it, but I know what it is when I see it. Right, like the old ruling about pornography in the U.S. I think the serious assault would fall under intentional yeah. injury in yeah, a more extreme right. way. Maybe like um, provoking trouble might be something as simple as passing out Falun Gong literature, exactly. which, uh, you know, which is, oh, by the way, guys, Shen Yun is back in town. If you, if you want to see way. the show. <laughs> big way. Have you seen that meme where it's like a Shen Yun billboard on the moon? That one's fun. I have not, but I'm not surprised. It might be a real photo. They, they're, they're trying to get ahead of a lot of yeah. stuff. Their promotion but, game is on point. But my other question is like running a gambling operation. Is that such a common crime that someone's like, we do not have enough prosecutors for this. We need a robot. I, I, I bet it is because it's outlawed as a practice, you know, like writ large. Like there's no scenario in which gambling is legal. Am I right? Or is this? Yeah, yeah for me, it's you, if you multiply the population of the United States by four, you get China's population when you've got jurisdiction over that many human beings. I can only imagine that that is still mm-hmm. a problem just with that, that many human beings around people like to gamble. Well, yeah, uh, gambling or casino gambling specifically is illegal in mainland China, but it is legal in Macau. And Macau is the world's biggest gambling hub. That's where the um, richies go when they like, you know, you always talk here about like, I think that was even a joke in succession, like uh, Alexander Skarsgård's character, who's like a, you know, Google type dude, like does a tweet about I'm going to Macau. And it, it implies that he's like got a lot of money coming on the horizon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Macau or Monaco. Right. But Monaco always seemed like the more expensive of the two. I, I think don't it was know. Macau because it was specifically like about gambling. Monaco mm-hmm. is more like a vacation destination, right? I, mean, I, I might be wrong. Well, there's a lot of gambling in Monaco, too. It's a rich person's paradise is what it's supposed to be. But but we'll get to Monaco in a future episode. Tell us if you'd like, to, if you've got some dirt on there. We'd love to hear it. Uh, with With this, we know, okay, that we're essentially talking about something based on this pre-existing thing called System 2006. And if you just cast aside all concerns... Right. And just look at it the way you would look at a fancy new car. This new version of System 206 can do some pretty impressive things in real time. Yes. And it really does take you back to the civil law system. Right. We said there are rules that if they're broken, there there's there's input and there's output and it's exacting. It's not an interpretation of some judge. So so let's get into it. this thing can transcribe a suspect's testimony at hearings. That's good, right? It can recognize the identity of that person uh, based on conversations in a courtroom. It can transfer large amounts of legal documents, uh, which is good, right? Uh, like take the actual legal documents, turn them into something digitized, mark them up. Now you've got that ready for the prosecutor or or for the pr- protectorate. I can't remember. Uh, they can also identify defective evidence to avoid wrongful convictions. That's good, right? There's something wrong with this mm-hmm. evidence that doesn't match up the way it should be and as it's normally entered. I mean, that's those are pretty good things, I think. But yeah. it doesn't seem like something at the moment that I would trust with, you know, deciding who's 
going to get charged with something. It just feels like what it was used for in the past. Yeah, exactly. And then this system can also, this is like one of the most sci-fi parts to me. This system can also respond to uh, voice commands. It can display evidence and info on digital screens for different people in a courtroom at a hearing. So it saves time presenting evidence. Some folks like Ma Chang-chan, a professor at East China University of Political Science and Law in Shanghai, uh, some folks see it as a vast improvement over the old ways. Uh, <laughs> Ma Chang-chan points out that, for instance, a suspect might make multiple confessions over some interval of time and that the AI system could instantly detect contradictions when comparing and contrasting those statements. Uh, and the scary thing is, again, the way the West is reporting this is, is odd in that it's being reported as though this just happened. Some parts of this just happened, but this is only a new chapter in a much uh, longer story. China has been working in this field since at least the mid-2010s. The first public inklings of this technology are surfacing around 2016. And back in January of 2019, the first version of System 206 went into action. It was deployed in Shanghai Number 2 Intermediate People's Court. Like we were saying, this is already uh, a thing, and this is one example of the larger push toward artificial intelligence. And also, I want to say... Um, Right now, I want to say thank you to you, Matt, because we did need to hold this uh, and make it an episode. Uh, so I think we all we all picked this up when it when it first came out. And I don't know about you, but I was surprised that there was much more to the story. This is not this is not like a whiteboard prototype at this point. It, it is well past that. Um, so people are saying hey, this is good. Let's make people's lives easier. They're even saying, get this, that it'll make a less biased system. But what about the critics? Is this all well and good? Spoiler alert. Nah, not really. Uh, we're going to pause for a word from our sponsor, and we'll return to explore some of the criticism of this new system, which uh, I, I think some of our fellow conspiracy realists are already uh, talking about out loud to themselves, quite possibly. <laughs> Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Some 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? 
Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. We're back. Surprise! Not everybody's on board. What? Uh, critics are in particular concerned with the system's accuracy and lack thereof. And that's something we really, really need to talk about. Researchers are over the moon about this new version. System 206, according to their studies and their conclusions, has a 97% accuracy rate. That means that it can use this aggregate description, this conglomeration of those thousand or so traits on a suspected criminal case to correctly file a charge 97% of the time. Oh, 97. That's pretty good. That's admirable. Yeah. Unless you're in that uh, 3% margin of error, you know, the, then we're not talking about 3% chance of getting the wrong concert seat or having your flight info incorrect. We're talking about a 3% chance of innocent people going to prison. Now, or being fined ungodly amounts. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now, I, I, we haven't really gotten into this yet, and I'm not sure if we necessarily know fully, but like these wouldn't be used for crimes of significantly high severity with like, you know, life and death on the line. Right. I mean, this would be for the specific set of of crimes that maybe are like low prison sentences or hefty fines or how extreme do the types of punishments that these things are used for go? Yeah, it's a good question because it's still, we're working with live fire here. This is a fluid situation right now. It's just those eight crimes, but I would, you know, point out as we were saying earlier that one of those is troublingly vague. You know what I mean? Even intentional injury is troublingly vague. Did you punch someone in a fight at a karaoke bar or did you like remove their ability to walk? For the foreseeable future, you know, they're two different things. But um, at this point, you know, the most dangerous thing is 
what is figure out what the punishment would be for, you know, promoting dissent or picking quarrels and causing trouble. That's right. Because that's the thing. I mean, I think a lot of the critics argue that this could be like, I think the word that I've seen is weaponized by the government where oh, yeah. it, it can be used to like, you know, pick out like malcontents based on, you know, or enemies of the state based on this very draconian set of um, conditions with, but, but, but then again, is this that much different than the way the government already does it with a bureaucracy that size? And is the margin of error higher or lower for the AI versus the actual overworked um, bureaucrats? Mm. That's the difficult question because there's not a lot of transparency in that regard. It's sort of like how uh, the Japanese police have an incredibly high clearance rate on crimes. Higher than the U.S. has ever gotten to, you know, and part of that goes down to the question of self-assessment or lack thereof within these organizations. Who, Again, who watches the watchman uh, in the in the South China Morning Post article that you mentioned earlier, Matt, uh, as well as in some other articles I, I have found digging into this. There's something really telling that happens. There is a prosecutor who levels some criticism about this. This prosecutor is based in Shanghai. This prosecutor is chosen to do their best to remain anonymous, which I think also gives you some insight into the fear that people have about speaking out around this thing. The prosecutor said the issue is sensitive. They don't want to talk about it uh, with their, they don't want to talk about it on record, but they, they pointed out something I think a lot of us have been thinking about, which is this, the accuracy of 97% may be high from a technological point of view, but there'll always be a chance of a mistake. And so this prosecutor said, who takes responsibility when that happens? Is it the prosecutor? Is it the machine? Is it the person who designed the algorithm? It's like the question of whether or not an AI can have its own patent. And, but it's a dangerous, important question because uh, I don't know about you guys, but I don't think, I don't think anybody's going to be able to really address that until the legal rubber hits the road, which would mean that several things have to happen. Or if then, in that case, is someone is wrongfully convicted, they win that terrible, brutal lottery, and they're one of the 3%. Right. They didn't actually int intentionally injure somebody. They weren't quarreling you know, or, or, you know, uh, raising trouble, uh, but they're wrongfully convicted They're going to jail or they're paying some massive fine. Like you said, Matt, the next if then is they would have to be able to somehow fight back in court. And that's kind of difficult, right? Uh, how do you how do you do that? How do you get representation there? So it's going to be a while before someone can answer that anonymous prosecutor's question. Also, the prosecutor says, you know, if we have a, I, I, I want to ask you guys this. I want to ask if you think, based on the fact that we don't know anything about this person, um, do you think there's ego at play here when the prosecutor says direct involvement of AI and decision-making can affect the autonomy of human prosecutors? Uh, this person said, most prosecutors don't want computer scientists meddling in our legal judgments. Where do you think that's coming from? Fear for their job security? Ooh. Sure. I mean, that's got to be at play here to some extent, right? That's a fair – it must be a – I don't know how pay works there, but it must be like a, a respected position to, oh, to sure. be a prosecutor, right? Or With to be a hard-to-pronounce name like Procrectectorect and Benedict, <laughs> you know, it must be up there. So then this prosecutor 
And people who are criticizing the system are also aware of something that we just brought up, the old Lovelace dilemma, which is that this thing can only file a charge based on its previous experience. It can't foresee a public reaction to a case in a fluid social human populated environment. And so the prosecutor concludes AI might help us detect mistakes, but it cannot replace humans in making a decision. So yeah, I think most people can agree with that now, but why all the hubbub? Like why all the hubbot, I guess. Like <laughs> that's well, not worth it, but thank you. <laughs> but but I mean we we talked about at the top of the show how overloaded every you know, court system in the freaking universe is just by the nature of what it is um, and, and how many people it touches, you know, in a society. Do you think that in a perfect world, this could just take some of the lower level cases off of these, you know, high level uh, officials or these, you know, lawyers, um, since I can't pronounce that word, um, and actually free them up to do the kind of casework that really does require more nuance and, and intellect and human touch? I don't necessarily think this is a job killer in the way that it's being pitched, but the way that it's being pitched could also be bull. I mean, in a perfect world, yeah, that'd be awesome, right? Uh, that would free up a lot of people. But there are, we do need to talk about why people are up in arms about this. And I, I would say at the top, I don't know if we'll all agree, but I think some of the reasons and concerns are much more valid than others. Like, first, yes, there is a lot of prejudice against China, especially in the West. It's uh, a dystopian AI prosecutor is perfect red meat. It's the perfect juice for the anti-China crowd. And I'll I, like that's intensely problematic. So this system is, again, it's making determinations based on past information which is honestly also a thing that humans do all the time. It's, it's uh, regurgitating what it's been fed, and it's been fed as much as possible, but there are big questions about who decides what info to give it and how does that shape its decision. And that's, and I mean, that's is a that transparent can't answer. And it's not. No, it's not. Um, it might be transparent in terms of the type of information, but the public's not going to know a lot of that. That's why I keep bringing up that there's human element before the AI gets involved. So, like, in each individual case, what it's being fed is based upon how well someone performs their duties, right? Mm-hmm. Um, each each time, each iteration. And the thought is you do that enough times that it can have the best view over a wide, you know, number of cases as possible. Right. But like it's you still, teach there's a, still you error. Teach an autonomous car to drive. Mm-hmm. I actually, it reminds me of, uh, I don't remember exactly the case, but there was a city government that was using um, either a city government or a corporation or a group of corporations that was using AI to sift through job applications. And the AI inherently <laughs> was sexist and maybe a little racist because it was using legacy information from back when people were maybe more racist and sexist to determine what types of, um, you know, applicants would would rise to the top and they weren't basing it on race or sex necessarily directly, but there are all these sub factors that would figure in based on the legacy data that the systems were fed. So it, it showed this inherent bias based on the type of, you know, uh, data that it was being fed in the same way that the outcome of whatever cases were chosen to be fed to this uh, system would absolutely affect the outcome. 
Well, yeah, that's that's the thing. I mean, I, I put this in because I think it's one of the most important parts of the conversation about any conversation in AI or this sort of automation. I'm glad we've anticipated it before we got to it in the show because AI can, yes, regularly outperform human minds in multiple fields, but it is still very much built by humans. And as such, I would argue that means it inherently remains vulnerable to human bias. The, think about the problems that occur in other automated systems like facial recognition in the field of law enforcement. There is absolutely no reason that this version of System 206 should be considered any exception to the rule. But a lot of people aren't really talking about that as much as they should. Instead, especially in the West, we're hearing people talk about uh, anti-China concern. It's, it's misleading. And folks, please, we're not painting a situation where there are clear good guys here. It's pretty rare, actually, for there to be clear good guys in these kind of conversations. This is not some sanctimonious defense of China. This is instead a point about hypocrisy. Here's our Shyamalan plot twist of the day. Check it out. Hear the italics when we say this. Legal systems in other countries, including the United States, are also already using AI to some degree. True story. So next time you hear like a news report about this or you see a quick video about this, uh, check. Just like keep that in the back of your mind. Are they going to say anything about what's happening in the U.S.? My uh, my experience, sadly, is no, they're not. Yeah. So should we, we move on to to the thing that was uh, announced in 2018 or at least that we found out about in 2018? Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, we learned about this thing called the public safety assessment. What is that? That sounds great. That sounds normal. Very innocuous. Sure. Well, this, it's a pass. This is, yeah. This is a software tool developed by Laura and John Arnold. It's their foundation, the Laura and John Arnold Foundation. This is based in Texas. It's a system that is designed to give judges very similar thing to what System 206 was supposed to do, to give judges the most objective information available for a particular case so that they can make a decision about someone moving through the system. Yeah, and I like that you bring up that important distinction, Matt, because it's letting the judges ultimately make the decision. It's not saying, this guy was running a dirty game of Pinochle, or whatever people gamble on. Uh, <laughs> blackjack might be more... <laughs> Relevant. I don't know. I guess people can gamble on anything. But the point is, a state judge in New Jersey now can use this PSA to assist in making those pretrial decisions. And Matt, you and I were talking about this a little bit off air, uh, pretrial decisions for people who are fortunate enough not to have to be aware of those are things where like, let's say there's a teenager in the U.S. is wiling out, you know, you're in high school, you're not old enough to drink, you got caught with some beers, you're trying to be too cool. You got your wings clipped. And uh, the prosecutors say, well, you know, it's your first offense. Keep your nose clean. Instead of putting you in the system and possibly ruining your life or damaging your chances of success in adulthood, we're going to do a pretrial intervention, which means you check out. You seem like a good kid. You got to do community service. You got to, like, take a class. Your license is going to, you know, have these different little caveats on it for a year or so. That has, like, this can be automated now. And judges in other states have used this system, but New Jersey is getting the most press for it um, because they were sort of first to the post. 
It just feels like those are the kinds of things that should be automated because, you know, a system could very easily look up a a person's record, determine if something was a first offense. And then every all that pretrial intervention stuff is all by the numbers. Like, do we really need that clogging up a a physical court appearance, you know, that that could be used for something more serious that requires a little more oversight? Because at the end of the day, you're showing up. We've all been to court, uh, whether a traffic court or like, you know, some other thing that you have to kind of wait in line for, whether jury duty or whatever. And the whole process is incredibly slow and inefficient, as as efficient as they try to make it. Wouldn't it free up some things, theoretically, if they just got rid of all of those physical appearances and just had a system say, oh, you, the first offense, here's your thing. Click the link. Do the thing. Pay the thing. You're good. You don't have to show up. I feel like it makes sense. And And I'm with you there to an extent. There's other things, though, like the setting of bail. How much should, you know, Mm -hmm. somebody have to pay to not go to jail while they await their trial? Uh, How much is someone a flight risk? I mean, maybe you can assess that objectively through an AI system, but I feel like, again, it's a a whole weird thing anyway. Well, Uh, it goes back to the access. Yeah, the access would have have to... the access for an AI to make that decision with all the context would be a clear violation of privacy laws in the U.S. That's how you would know, like, hey, someone's uncle is a millionaire and can clearly just fly them the hell out of here, and then they'll go to a non-extradition country. Like, that That can happen. And we can't, like, we, the difference is the U.S. officially... Uh, it needs to seem hesitant to uh, break those walls of privacy, and that is not as much of a concern uh, for, you know, the majority of cases in the Chinese government. And, you know, it's going to look again, glass courtrooms, guys. Uh, Germany is considering similar moves right as we record, and it is whether you think it's great, whether you think it removes bias or only automates it. We can easily predict other countries are right now following suit or they will follow suit in the future. And that's where that's where we get to the bleeding edge stuff we were referencing earlier. So the AI prosecutor, like one of those characters in Dragon Ball Z, is powering up. You know, it's like it's gathering its power balls. It's going to get continually upgraded. It's soon the uh, professor, she says, it will soon be able to recognize less common crimes. It'll be able to file multiple charges against one uh, suspect. So, for instance, let's say someone has a, a crazy night and they do some regrettable things, then they can get hit with dangerous driving. They can get hit with causing trouble. They can get hit with intentional injury. You know what I mean? I don't know, man. Maybe if your weekend's crazy enough, you get all eight. Um, <laughs> but uh, this this scope is going to expand both That's in totally the x-axis. True. Yeah, x-axis, more regions, and then the y-axis of depth of its ability. I mean, it feels like a lot of this is like these are like slippery slope arguments. Like there are versions of this that could be useful, but we don't trust the uh, implementers of this stuff to to do it right. Mm -hmm. You know, because it becomes a question of, A, how much do you trust AI? Like, is this something that you you feel confident enough that it's at an advanced enough level to do this kind of stuff and not worry about it? And B, do you trust the implementers of said AI to use it as advertised? Um I think maybe for me, it's a yes to number one and a no to number two. And that's where the weirdness comes in for me. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I mean, this, that's the other thing. 
it's unclear when or whether this technology will find applications in other fields. I would say it definitely will. Like, think how valuable this would be for the decision to make or reject, a, to accept or reject a loan, right? Uh, basically, the Skynet's the limit. Da, 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 da. But the uh, the issue is, the issue is that the the badgers are already out of the bag. This stuff is this stuff is coming. Um, maybe sooner to some places rather than later, but. China is making aggressive use of this technology in nearly every sector of government to improve efficiency, ostensibly to reduce corruption, and honestly, I feel like it's an open secret, to further uh, solidify control over the populace. Uh, this, so remember how we're talking about this uh, AI system being used in New Jersey? Well, Chinese courts have been doing this uh, with uh, like just the just the very same thing, using AI to help automate the decision about whether or not to uh, accept or reject an appeal in the legal system, and that again doesn't seem incredibly dystopian and dangerous. But then, what what do you guys think about the Chinese prisons using AI tech to track the physical and mental status of prisoners? Uh, official goal is to reduce violence. <sighs> It depends. I mean, is it something that you could judge has a positive impact on the safety of guards? Does it, in fact, reduce violence? I think there are ways that you could find that out. Um, But again, it all depends on who's doing it. And I don't think I think we don't particularly inherently trust the Chinese government to to give us the real reasons. But I think it could be really helpful in a prison situation and keep guards from getting hurt and keep inmates from getting hurt if you used it right. They're already being monitored anyway. I just don't quite see how this is nefarious. I mean, people in prison are inherently monitored. That's sort of the whole deal. Are we essentially saying give every incarcerated person a Fitbit kind of thing? Like where then they would all, all that data would be collected and decisions would be made upon it? Like that's what it sounds like to me. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. It's a good point about people already being kind of in a panopticon monitoring situation. But either way, you know, uh, the question then verges on the realm of philosophy, right? Can an artificial intelligence of some sort remove the human bias of a judge, or does it only automate existing bias, possibly exacerbating existing bias while removing some of the checks that are in place to uh, protect people against incorrect conclusions? And what happens if someone powerful decides to influence the system? How would the public ever know? What, if anything, could the public do? It's not outside the realm of possibility. Well, it's also like, I mean, the human touch part is the empathy part. And honestly, in, you could argue that empathy makes things less uh, efficient. You know, whenever we see like dystopian future AI Skynet type situations or like RoboCop, uh, it takes empathy out of the equation and judges things exclusively on this like data set rather than like, you know, oh, this kid had a bad day and maybe I'm going to uh, inject this proceeding with a little bit of human empathy. That's sort of out of the realm of this type of processing. Yeah, I think overall, philosophically, the one thing you do need in a judge system like that, in a legal system, is empathy to really look at the the gray areas of law. But again, that works when you're in a common law situation. When you're in a civil law situation, it's different. And, you know. Ah, that's a good point. I didn't I, think about that. 
back full circle there. Mm-hmm. Like this would be harder to implement in a way that people could stomach here in the U.S. Yeah, because you, you can't consider it in the same way, right? That's that's what that's what our system's all about. A judge fully considering what's happened in the past around a case like this and the exact aspects of the current case. How do, how are those things different? How's the social setting different and the, the mores that are existing right now and the, just how people generally feel about things, what's right and what's wrong. Then they make that decision and then that decision gets used down the road. So it, I don't know. It, I hate to say it guys in a civil law system like this, it almost makes complete sense to me that you would does. run with this. Right, because the judges are checking facts and connecting the facts to exactly. codify punishments. Yeah, that's possible. But the, the question is what makes the um, – what, what has the best chance of attaining the most accuracy while minimizing, if not erasing, the existence of bias? And those are very difficult questions to answer. But right now we can say that this is open to corruption. It really does depend upon the origin point of the information it's being fed. It depends on, you know, like the thing about the thing about having to find facts and then just go immediately to a codified consequence is that we have to ask about the bias of the people who wrote those codes of law, who wrote those statutes first. So it's deeper than just whomever programs system 206. And that's where we that's where we leave it for you, folks. Uh, What do you think? Is this trend of automating justice inevitable? Is it overall a good or bad direction? And how do you see it playing out in the future? We'd love to hear your thoughts. We try to be easy to find online. Oh, the internet. We're all over the thing. You can find us under the handle at Conspiracy Stuff on YouTube, Twitter, uh, Facebook, or we also have a really cool Facebook group called Here's Where It Gets Crazy that you can join. Um, If you're more of an Instagram type, you can find us at Conspiracy Stuff Show. Yes, you can also give us a call. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. When you call in, give yourself a cool nickname, and uh, you've got three minutes. Tell us whatever you'd like. We do ask that you leave one message at a time if you can. Just uh, cuts down on uh, the three of us and the, the time we spend going through voicemails. Just a little bit. We do appreciate that very, very much. Now, if you've got more to say than can fit into that three minutes, you can instead send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Do 
Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.